Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. And good morning to you who are sitting at home watching us on the platform of GoToMeeting. I pray that the Lord will minister to us this morning as we center our attention and come together to receive the ministry of the Word. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning, for the help of your Spirit, We thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for the manifold grace that you have deposited within us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. As we come to the Word, dear Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, a heart that understands your ways, and eyes that see beyond this physical, natural world. Enable us to see truth, embrace the truth, and allow truth to change us from within so that we may reflect your glory and your nature in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. As I have mentioned last Sunday, this is probably one of the most profound teachings that the Lord has given me to teach His people. It's entitled, Greatness in Every Believer. I'm not going to go through what I went through last Sunday, but just to give you a, a, a recap, some of the main highlights. We did mention that God deposited within each and every believer who is born again by His Spirit, the greatness of His Son. Or, as Paul describes it, the treasure. We read last Sunday, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, but we have this treasure. Did you know that you have this treasure within you? Amen. So, in earthen vessels, he says, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. The treasure that Paul is referring to here is none other than the risen, glorified Christ in all of His glory, in all of His splendor, in all of His authority, indwells every believer. Christ in you, Paul says, the hope of glory. We also mentioned that it is the desire and the will of God that the greatness He placed within us to find release within us and through us that the world around us may be blessed. In order for that greatness to be released through this mortal flesh, it is vitally important that the outer man or the flesh is crucified, humbled, broken, 
so that what is within can be released to the world around us. Last Sunday, we spoke about the definition of true greatness in the eyes of the Lord. Remember that? That true greatness in the eyes of God has nothing to do with duration, but rather donation. It's not how long you live that will make the difference. It's what you do with what God has gifted us with, how well we serve those whom God has called us to serve. So greatness in God's sight is not measured by status, position, or wealth, but rather by the content of our character and how well we serve not only the Lord, but the people around us, how well we serve them, how compassionate, how loving, how generous are we to our fellow man. We also mentioned that the essence of true greatness is what? What is the essence of true greatness? Do you remember? Nobody remembers. Well, I will remind you, and hopefully you won't forget. The essence of true greatness is found in your authenticity. An authentic person is a real, genuine person. It is being who God created you to be and doing what God created you to do. That's an authentic person. He is comfortable or she is comfortable with herself, not pretending to be who we're not. Amen? So, remember that. The essence of true greatness is being authentic. Amen? And also, we also talked about finding your own voice of authority in the world where God has placed you. God has given each and every one of us a voice of authority. In order to find that voice of authority, we need to seek the Lord diligently with all of our hearts, and then He reveals Himself to us. He reveals our destiny. He reveals our purpose. He reveals the unique path for which God created us to walk in. Imagine if every person in the world found themselves in God, doing what God created them to do. Amen? Never mind the world, but just the church, every believer. If every believer sought God diligently and found themselves in God and the purpose that God created them for, doing what they were created to do, the kingdom of God would be established speedily. In other words, wherever we go, we would bring heaven on earth. Amen? So we need to find ourselves. Every believer needs to seek the Lord. There are questions that every one of us asks. Who am I? Why am I here? What did God intend for me to do while I'm here? 
It's important that those questions are answered. It's important that we find ourselves in the Scriptures and we don't give God rest until He shows us who we are in God, who God created us to be, and what God created us and destined us to do. The Bible says that every single one of us who is in Christ, God prepared good works for us to walk in. I've also mentioned last week that God has a book about your life before you even got here. He said to Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. While you were in your mother's womb, I called you, I sanctified you from your mother's womb and ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. The same goes for every single one of us. We're not here by accident. God intended for you to be here in the time that you are here for such a time as this. So it's important to find yourself in the Lord. Amen? You've got to find your real identity in the Scriptures. And I've related to you my own testimony. I found myself in the Scripture. I saw who God called me to be, and then I began to work towards my own purpose and destiny. The same goes for you. Amen? The temptation to be sidetracked and distracted and distracted by many other things is very real. You've got to be diligent. You've got to be purposeful in your seeking God. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through to 13. The Word promises us, God Himself promised us, that He said, when you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. In other words, we've got to be diligent and purposeful in seeking the face of God so that we may hear from God. Amen? That's what we covered last Sunday. Now today, we will talk about the process that God takes us through in order for the treasure that is within us to find release and expression in the world around us. God takes us through a process in order to humble us, in order to divorce us from our self-reliance and self-confidence, which is actually pride. Pride is our worst enemy. That's what caused Lucifer to fall from the high place God gave him. Amen? So we're going to look at the process that God takes us through. All of us knows that the height and majesty of any building that you want to build is determined by the strength of the foundation. The taller the building, the deeper, the stronger the foundation needs to be. Is that right? Yeah. Amen. That's a principle. And so God needs to work in us in such a way, depending on our calling and purpose to lay a foundation that is spiritual beneath our feet that nothing would shake us when we face resistance and opposition. Anyone who desires to walk in God's ways will face resistance 
persecution, sacrifice, and suffering. In order to endure, you have to be strong. Not outwardly, but inwardly. And that's what God does. He builds a spiritual fortitude and stamina within us by the process He takes us through in order to withstand what the enemy throws against us in fulfilling the will of God for our lives. Paul said, everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will do what? Will face opposition and persecution. And though the Scripture says that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, he still needed to submit to God's process of growth and development before he became great in the eyes of the Lord. And so it is with us. Amen? John the Baptist's preparation, as we all know, was done way. In the desert. In the desert, John the Baptist was willing to remain in hiddenness until God finally prepared and equipped him for greatness, equipped him for his mission. Amen? One could say, I believe, that the desert is the school from which every believer must graduate successfully before he or she can move into fulfilling the divine purpose that God placed on your life. Every single one of us, none of us is excused. The process of preparation is vitally important. And many of us, many within the house of God, don't realize that. That's why very often they run ahead of God and find themselves in trouble because they're not ready for what God called them to do. So it's important that we wait, that we are patient enough until God finishes that preparation, and then He Himself thrusts us into what God destined us to do. Now, that's why the Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, "...for you have need of endurance..." Another translation says patience, so that after you have done the will of God, after you have gone through your training successfully, you may receive the promise of God. Amen? Praise the Lord. If we want to achieve greatness in the sight of the Lord, as I've mentioned, we need to submit willingly, voluntarily, joyfully, to the process for however long it takes, because it takes more than just physical, emotional, or mental strength. It will take primarily spiritual strength and fortitude. So in order to do that, God takes us into the desert. The desert speaks of hard, difficult, and uncomfortable places. Our flesh doesn't like the desert. <laughs> Why? Because they are places of discipline, places of correction. It is a place of learning to obey the voice of the Lord, learning to deny self and our selfish ambitions. That's where God gets rid of our selfishness. 
if we are successful in that training. That's why Scripture says many are called, but few are chosen. Why few are chosen? If many are called and few are chosen, what does that mean? Few go through the process successfully. Many don't. Just like the children of Israel. They went through the desert and they stayed there for 40 years. The generation that came out of Egypt died in the desert. They did not learn the lessons that God wanted them to learn. He took them out of Egypt, but he couldn't take Egypt out of them. The new generation was successful. They went into the promised land. Only two managed, not even Moses or Aaron, only two from the old generation managed to go through the Jordan into the promise. And that was Joshua and Caleb. The Bible says they had a different spirit. Amen? So that's where we learn discipline. That's where we learn to obey the voice of the Lord. Let's look at a, verses of, a few verses of Scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 6, as God relates to the children of Israel the history the, the, the way that he took them through the deserts. And he says to them, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. For what purpose? To humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart. It wasn't for God to know what was in their heart. It was for them to discover what was in their heart. Because it's in the hard places where what's in comes out. When you are squeezed, what's in you will come out. When the pressure is on you, the real you will come out. <laughs> Amen? Well, he says, that you may know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. They, they found out that they were rebellious, that they were disobedient, that they were grumblers, that they were complainers. You remember that? And instead of repenting and humbling themselves, they continued on that same path. How many of us go through some severe tests and trials and we learn nothing from them? Hello? That's why Scripture says... When you're going through a test or a trial, the first thing you need to do is ask God to give you wisdom so that you can understand what you're going through, so that you can see the test and the trial from God's perspective, and instead of resisting Him, humble yourself and cooperate with Him. And you get out quickly. You get out of the trial very quickly when you learn your lesson. But some of us stay in the same class, same standard. Standard two every year. Standard two. Standard two. Standard two. And we go around and round and round and round the mountain, never learning. You read the scriptures where it says, ever learn, and yet never coming to the knowledge of the truth. God forbid that we should be one of those. Lord, what are you teaching me? 
Open my eyes and my ears. There's a beautiful scripture in the, in the book of Isaiah that says, The Lord God opened my ears. And I was no longer rebellious. I remember when that happened to me. I was going through a severe crisis, a severe test. And it was my disagreement with my father-in-law. This man loved me, so he wanted to discipline me, but I didn't want to be disciplined. All I, all I saw was the hand of a man trying to correct me. So I rebelled. I rebelled against him, but I was rebelling against the Lord, not against him. And we had fights, regular fights, almost every week. Until one day, as I'm reading the Scripture, the mercy of God opened my eyes and my ears, and instead of seeing the hand of my father-in-law, I saw the hand of the Lord using my father-in-law to correct and to discipline me so that I could be the kind of a person that God wanted me to be. And when God opened my eyes and I saw that and my ears were unblocked, I sat down and I wrote a beautiful letter to him. Dad, please forgive me for hurting you, for rebelling against you. I ask you to forgive me, and I've asked God to help me to cooperate with him and with you. And you know, when that happened, it was like heaven opened up over my life. And the blessing began to flow. Blessing after blessing, favor after favor, I experienced the goodness, the generosity, the loving kindness of the Lord when I humbled myself and submitted myself to the authority that God placed me under. Many in the body of Christ, they think they're resisting God, uh, the devil rather, and they begin to rebuke the devil. Devil, I rebuke you. But it's not the devil they're rebuking, it's that they are rebelling against the authorities that God placed them under. They refuse to be humbled. They refuse to listen to the voice of God's wisdom. They want to do their own thing regardless of the cost. And then they go into these dry places and they experience the hardship, the discipline, the correction instead of the blessing of the Lord. Many in the body of Christ are in that class. And we need to pray that the, that the Lord God Almighty would open the eyes so that they could see the plan, the purpose of God, so they could hear the voice of the Lord so that they are no longer rebellious. Amen. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. And you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. You see the purpose of the chastening and the discipline? 
The word chasten means to inflict suffering upon for purposes of moral improvement. Amen? When you deny the flesh, when you deny yourself and choose the will of God, there's always suffering involved, my brother, my sister. I remember the time when I went through learning about the principle of the cross, dying to self. It was so painful. Tears would run down my eyes from the pain and the pressure. And I would say to the Lord, Lord, I can't take this anymore. And God would come by His Spirit and comfort me and allow me to see what He was after to break down that stubbornness, that rebellion, that pride so that He could release His greatness through me and touch people's lives. Amen? Another word for chastening is the word discipline. And we read that Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 through 11, explains it so beautifully. The writer to the Hebrews says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. It is the Father, the Heavenly Father, speaking to all of His children. Don't despise my chastening. Don't reject it. Don't consider it light, but learn from it. And He says, don't be discouraged when you are rebuked. The tendency to get discouraged when you are disciplined is very great. And we need the strength of the Holy Spirit to comfort and encourage us during the time of the discipline because we know that the Lord loves us. And because He loves us, He refuses to leave us the way we are. As long as you and I are on this earth, God will never stop working in us and through us until He sees His full image in us. So don't be discouraged. What you're going through, the test, the trial, is only temporarily... God is busy working something wonderful in you. That's why someone said once, God is not committed to the, to, the, to the provision of our comfort, but to the production of our character. This country is going through fiery trials. There's a purpose in that. And God wants us to see the purpose rather than the trial. For when we have gone through, we will come out on the other side shining. We mustn't be discouraged. We mustn't be fearful. We mustn't give up. Hold on. Allow the Spirit of God to strengthen you every day, comfort you, encourage you, whatever your trial is, whether it's personal or whether it's family, whether it's marriage, whether it's financial. God has a plan. Amen. He goes on to say, and if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. You see that? It's because you are a son and a daughter of the living God that you're being chastised, that you're being chastened, because God loves you. It's the evidence of His love. Amen? I definitely disciplined my children when they were children, and I let them know that I did it because I loved them. 
Amen. <laughs> For what son is there whom father, whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, you know, some parents, they give all the freedom to the, do whatever you want. They even let a, a what, a nine, ten-year-old make their own choices. Hello, I'm not one of those parents. Are you listening to me? A child of seven, eight years old can't make their own choices. They don't have the wisdom. You make the choices for them until they grow up. But you teach them at the same time between right and wrong so they may know what to choose. No boundaries today. Anything goes. That's not God. Amen? When my children were growing up, even though they were 25, 26, if they went out, they had to go out with a company of people. Not with the opposite sex on their own. And by 11 o'clock, they had to be home. That's why I didn't have all these issues that most parents have with their children. Are you out there? They got up on Sunday morning. They didn't ask if they're going to go to church. They got up. They got dressed with us. They came to church. No pressure on them. Why? Because they saw the parents doing that. Amen? Amen. Let's go on. Before I step on somebody's toes. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are all illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, listen to this. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, to those who have been trained by it. That's very important. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness not to all who go through the chastening, not to all who go through the training, but only to those who have been trained and learned by it. According to the Word, God takes every child of His through process of discipline or chastisement for the purpose of maturing us. Moses was disciplined and prepared for 40 years in the desert. Remember that? Joshua was trained and equipped where? In the desert, together with Moses, 40 years the children of Israel after their exodus from Egypt went into the desert with Moses, and there they experienced the discipline of the Lord being prepared for the promised land. Sadly, as I've mentioned, most of them, if not all, died in the desert without ever entering the promises of God because they failed their training. They haven't learned from it. 
They failed the process God put them through for the development of the character. And this is what happens, unfortunately, to many believers. They never reach their destiny. They never fulfill the purpose because in the training, they failed. Amen? Let this be a lesson for us. If you want to fulfill your God-given purpose, there are no shortcuts, folks. No shortcuts. You have to go through what God has prepared for you and go through obedient and, and submissive willingness to be subject. Some people say, well, pastor, I only obey the Lord. I'm only subject to the Lord. No man. What a foolish statement to make. Because some people say, well, I love God and I'm submitted to God. How can you say you're submitted to God whom you do not see when you cannot submit to the man whom you see? Scripture says John became great. He was not born great, but he became great. How? Through the process that the Lord put him through. You see here, the secret is process. The secret is development of character through discipline and being mentored by God and by those whom God appointed in your life to train, to equip, and to develop you. Not just God. God appoints to every believer a shepherd, a counselor, beside the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. But we also have teachers, the Bible says, prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Everyone should know who the pastor is and what the purpose of the pastor is. Hello? Are you there? Take an example from the natural, from the world. Look at the great athletes. They win medals. They achieve greatness in their sphere of calling and in the gifting. And they all have one thing in common. What is that one thing they have? Competent coaches. They don't get up every morning doing their own thing. They have a schedule that they run to. They have a diet that they have to adhere to. They listen to the coach. They don't do their own thing, or else they never win. Are you there? Are you out there? Praise God. Of course, you don't win medals in the Spirit by doing your own thing, or whatever you think is best. You submit to the process of becoming great. Let's look at Joseph. Joseph matured, the Bible says, by the things that he suffered. Remember the suffering that he went through? Remember the process that Joseph went through? Great suffering. He went through betrayal. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He was falsely accused, thrown into prison for years for something he didn't do. 
What do you think? He, never once did we read in the Scriptures that Joseph complained to the Lord. But whenever we look at the Scripture concerning Joseph, the Bible says, and the Lord was with Joseph and gave him favor even in the dungeons. Imagine the character of that person. That's why God could trust him with such great authority and wealth, because he was tested, he was tried, and he was proven faithful to the core. The Word says concerning Joseph, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Didn't say the devil tested him. The word of the Lord put him to the test. Or you could say it this way. The word of the Lord disciplined him or chastised him. Wow. You see... The process, the principle is the same, folks. The process God takes us through requires tremendous faith on our part to make peace with the process and not rebel against it or be discouraged by it. It requires trust even though we don't understand it at the time. It's only when we look back that we could clearly see what God was up to. But while you are in it, it's like you're in it in the cloud, and you can't see, why is this happening to me? What have I done wrong? It's not that you've done wrong. Most times, is that the Word of the Lord is putting you to the test. The test facing us may be challenging, may be painful and severe, but God has given us a promise. And how many times through the years I've received comfort through that promise, that God would not test me or, or, or allow me to be tested beyond what I'm able to endure. But with the test, with the trial, the promise says, God will make a way of escape that I may be able to endure it. Isn't that a wonderful promise? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. That is the promise. And I've received many times encouragement, knowing that God knows my strength and my ability and is not going to allow me to go through Tests or trials that I'm not able to endure, but with it, He will make a way of escape for me. You see, He knows our breaking point. You may, you may think, Lord, I am breaking you. I've had enough of this. I can't take it anymore. But God says, yes, you can. You may not know your strength, but I do. All you need to do is trust me. I'm not going to allow you to be tested above what you're able to bear or endure, but I'm going to make a way of escape, so trust me in that. Trust my word, not your emotions, not your feelings, not even your natural mind. Trust my promise. That's the only way we're going to successfully endure and learn from the trials that we go through. Amen. You see, the pressure we experience, you need to understand the purpose of it. 
And the trials we face have one goal in mind. Remember that. And that is to bring us to the end of ourselves, of our self-reliance, and of our self-confidence. They are designed to humble us. Remember what we said at the beginning of this teaching, that in order for this treasure within us to find release, the outward man needs to be broken and humbled. And this is what God does through the process He takes us through. The greater the calling on our lives, the harder and the more difficult the process we go through. You see, as I mentioned, our greatest enemy is pride. And it is so easily hidden, it's not easily detected, but it's in every single one of us. The essence of pride is self-reliance, self-confidence. It is trusting in ourselves rather than trusting in God. And Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 5 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Do you see that? When you trust in yourself rather than God, the Bible says you come under a curse. When you trust in your own abilities, when you trust in your own wealth, when you trust in your own cleverness, the Word of the Lord says your heart departs from God. And you find yourself, as it is written here, is like a shrub in the desert, shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. That's a cursed place. But blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord. Amen? He cannot be shaken. He will flourish even in desert and dry places. You can't put that man down, no matter what. And you see, God has a way of divorcing us from our self-confidence. Amen? And helping us to face our weaknesses and our limitations. Paul explains this so well in his epistle. Listen to what he says. We're taking a bit long, but I'm going to finish this. May I please finish it? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, 9, and 10, or Shivan will put it up. Listen to what Paul says. So, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weakened, when I reach the end of myself, then I tap into God's strength but not before I come to the end of my own strength. Paul wanted the thorn removed, remember? He said, I pray three times. Lord, take this away. Isn't this what we do? 
Take it away, Lord. I can't bear it anymore. I'm not prepared to live in this situation anymore. I'm getting out of here. Goodbye. The pressure. And God, what did he say to him? See, I wanted to run away when I was being disciplined. Disciplined where my marriage is concerned, disciplined where my life was concerned by my father. I wanted to get out of there, get in my car and just drive away. And that's what I did before I was born again. I left home when I was 16 and went to work for everyone that would want me to work for 12, 15 hours a day. The moment they said something I didn't like, I took my jacket, walked out. I don't know how many jobs I changed. I would go from one place to the next, from one place to the next, and just wouldn't take anything from anyone. I remember that's BC days. We were running a delicatessen with my wife. So one morning, somebody comes along, and uh, he said something I, he, I didn't like about a newspaper. I jumped over the counter with a broom. The guy ran. That's the type of a person I was. <laughs> That's why the Lord had to... Lord, I can't take this anymore. But listen to the divine answer. My grace is sufficient for you. What was the Lord trying to teach Paul? He was trying to tell him, Paul, the grace and the greatness I have placed within you, if you learn to rely in that grace rather than in your strength, you will overcome the thorn in the flesh who was none other than evil that was troubling him and tormenting and persecuting him wherever he went. He said, the treasure that is within you is more than enough to help you overcome. And when he realized that and he received the revelation, he said, now, instead of crying out to God to deliver me from this thorn, I am saying, Lord, I magnify you and I take joy in my weakness, in my infirmities, in my persecutions, in all the hardships that I go through. I give you praise and I delight in it because when I am weak, then I tap into your grace and I overcome them all. And that's when he said, and the Lord delivered me from them all. In one of the statements, he says, and the Lord delivered me from the mouth of the lion. He was speaking figuratively. He fought battles against the forces of darkness that you and I would not imagine because he learned to trust in God's grace within him. That's why he was boasting and how weak he was. Boasting in his infirmities. Today, most people, most preachers, they boast on how great the church is, how much money they receive, how many people they reach. Paul never did that. He boasted in how weak he was. Oh, may we learn from this humble man of God what it means to rely on God's grace. Amen? Praise the Lord. For when I'm weak, he said, then I am strong. In other words, when I come to the end of myself through weakness, that is when I enter 
Christ's strength which enables me to do all things, even to the point of taking pleasure and rejoicing in hardships and insults. A.W. Tozer said, When I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. (laughs) During my own process of discipline and preparation, the Scriptures, during this process of discipline and preparation, the Scriptures encourage us to look to the Lord Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Remember that Hebrews chapter 12? The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And let me conclude by this. The process God takes each one of us is unique, tailored to our own needs, and different from everyone else. Because not all of us are called to do the same thing. Not all of us had the same upbringing. Not all of us were born in the same nationality. That's why God tailors the path. He knows exactly the process He needs to take you through. He knows what we need to bring us to the end of our self-confidence. And I've learned this as I look over my life. I understand perfectly Now, why I had to go through what I went through. The things that I went through from the age of 13, being uprooted from my own country, being brought by my parents into a foreign land with a language I did not understand, I could not speak, the... the, the bullying that my brother and I had to endure, and all the things that go with it, being found in a culture I found so difficult to adjust, helped to prepare me for what God had in mind for me. Some of you may not identify that. The sorrow, the pain, and the rejection I endured through other events as well, brought me to a place of complete brokenness, hopelessness, and despair. That's where I was 45 years ago. And in my desperation, I cried out to the Lord, and He heard me and rescued me from my distresses. How beautifully the psalmist describes this in Psalm 107. When I read the psalm, I so identify with it. Listen to what the psalmist said. He gathered them out of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. I am from the east. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. 
They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, the soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Take a look at your own life, where you are today. The process is taking you through, even now. And you will understand that indeed, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Amen? So as we look to the Lord and continue to trust Him, remember His promise that He who began a good work in you, He will complete it. Let's pray. Let's stand and give thanks to the Lord. Father, thank you for your dealings with us. Thank you for your hand of discipline in our lives. And it is our prayer, Lord, that you would not withhold, you would not withdraw the hand of discipline until you see in us the image of your Son. Father, we are not asking that you provide us a place of comfort, but we ask that you would perfect within us, no matter what it takes, Lord. Do not leave us or abandon us to our own selves. Deliver us from selfishness. Deliver us from the sin of pride. Deliver us from those things that dishonor and misrepresent you to the world, dear Lord. We want to be a people that rightly represent the Lord Jesus. We want to be a people that through whom you release your Son's greatness through us. The love, the generosity, the compassion, the patience, the faithfulness. May the world see Jesus in us, dear Lord, so that they may come to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent to the world. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, and we thank you for it. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.